So in uh, the Middle Ages, they got uh, very creative with some of their torture techniques. How about that to start things off today? Um, And uh, there was one in particular. Don't don't ask me how I came across this. I don't know. I came across this innocently, and I filed it away for an opportune moment, and this is it. There was was one um, technique, torture technique in particular, that that caught my attention, not because of, 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 of what it was, but because of what they called it. Uh, this one, um, what they would do is they would take the, the prisoner and they would tie a rope to each of the four different limbs and they would tie each of those ropes to four different horses. So I'll tell you from there, you can use your imagination. Um, but, but here's what was so fascinating about this is what they called it. They called this method distraction. Death by Distraction. Being pulled in a number of different directions with an inability to keep it all together. And in a less gruesome way, but in a just as much of a personally detrimental way for you and for me, death by distraction is potential for all of us. We kicked off a brand new series last week called Bend, Don't Break. And I was very honest and told you that the series title was inspired by one of our family's favorite movies on Disney right now, Encanto. And um, I got an Instagram message from somebody and it was about, you know, from last week and it said, um, you inspired me. And so I was like, oh, this will be encouraging. So I clicked on it, it said, you inspired me to watch Encanto. Um, <laughs> so we did, we, did our, we did our job last week. Uh, but... Um, This series is all about, hey, bending is certainly better than breaking. However, as human beings, we were not created to consistently live in a state of bend, don't break, without any reprieve, without any rest, without being able to catch our breath and figure out what is what, because here is what is true, that almost anything with enough bending will eventually break, especially you and especially me. And when you are in that bend, don't break type of state, um, it feels like a lot of surviving, but not thriving. And we put some kind of words and common emotion around what bend, don't break feels, what it feels like to be surviving, but not necessarily thriving. And, and last week we said this, that we're overwhelmed, right? We're, we're carrying so much We're overcommitted, we're doing so much, and we're overexposed. We're processing so much. Living in the digital world that we live in and the the technology, technology that's available to us, we're processing more information from all over the world at a rate unlike any other time in human history. We're processing so much. Overwhelmed, overcommitted, and overexposed. And what that does to you and to me, and you know this, you felt this, it begins to take a toll. Takes a toll on our minds, on our bodies, on our wills, and ultimately begins to take an effect on our soul. It depletes our souls. And what we begin to experience, and you've experienced this too, a type of fatigue that goes far beyond anything physical. A type of fatigue that isn't fixed with more sleep. A type of fatigue that isn't fixed with another vacation. Um, A type of fatigue that goes far beyond anything physical because it is a fatigue, a depletion of our innermost being, a depletion of the soul. And in that place and in that state, not a lot of thriving, just a lot of surviving. There is not as much joy or love or peace cultivated in our lives not nearly as much as we would like. 
And one of the subtle enemies of our souls, one of the subtle enemies of the surviving and not thriving state of living, one of the subtle enemies that leaves us in a place of bending, bending, and bending, hoping we're not going to break, one of the subtle enemies of your soul and of mine are the distractions that vie for our attention and take us away from what is most important. Distraction is this, a distraction, that which pulls our attention away from what matters most. That which pulls our attention from what matters most. Oftentimes you've probably heard, right? Like time is our most precious commodity, but I would argue attention is our most precious commodity. Because like time, it is limited. Like time, we decide what to do with it. But, but how, many, how many of you know this? You know this is true. You can be giving something your time, but not necessarily your attention Right? Attention costs you something. We tell people to pay attention. And one of the reasons why attention is so valuable and why it's such a precious thing that we have, not necessarily because it's limited, not necessarily because um, you know, we only have so much of it, but ultimately because of what our attention leads to. Poet Mary Oliver, she wrote this. She said, attention is the beginning of devotion. That where your attention goes will ultimately determine what you are devoted to. And what you are devoted to, what you value, and what you prioritize, ultimately, you know this, shapes who you become and the amount of joy and peace and love that is cultivated in our lives. So when's the last time you thought about where does your attention go? When's the last time you audited your attention, where it goes on any given day, and ask yourself, okay, is where my attention going? What does that say about what I'm devoted to? Where and what I give my attention to, what does that say about who I am becoming? What does that say about my priorities? The way that I spend my attention on any given day, is it cultivating in my heart and in my life joy, peace, and Love And come on, regardless of what you do or don't believe about faith, whether you're a Jesus person or not a Jesus person, church person, not church person, who doesn't want more peace, joy, and love cultivated in their lives? The problem, and I'm included in this too, is we so easily give away our attention cheaply, flippantly, without much thought distracted from what matters most. And a question that I believe is worth wrestling with, especially if we want to live in a state of thriving more than just surviving, is this. What are you distracted from that you should be devoted to? What are you distracted from that you should be devoted to? In a world vying for your attention, what is not getting it? It's so easy, right? I mean, where we're distracted just by the sheer busyness of life, the going and the doing, the working, and then the working from home has suddenly blurred the lines between work and home in a way like never before. So work doesn't necessarily even just come home. It lives at home, right? We're going at such a pace that we can't really catch our breath. For some of you, you spend so much of your energy caring for other people. You don't even think about caring for yourself. Corey, Tin Boone, she, she wrote this, she said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy 
Because either way, your soul will shrivel. That you and I can move at such a pace and do things at such a pace that it begins to disconnect us from what it means to be human. It affects us at the soul level of our existence. That we go, 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 and it disconnects us from people that matter. It disconnects us from God and from our faith that matters because there's not enough time for that. And, and you felt this. It even begins to disconnect us quite literally from ourselves. Have you ever had such a busy day, such a crazy day at work, at home, with this person, with the kids, and then you finally get to the end of the day, they're asleep, you get to the couch, or maybe it's the first time you finally lay down when you're going to bed, and for the first time all day, you take a breath and you can feel your soul just catch up to your body. Distracted. The business. We're also distracted just by technology and entertainment. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. I'm stating a reality, right? I mean, uh, apps and social media, our phones, right? The average human touches their phone over um, 2,500 times a day. And I'm a below average human. So Netflix, come on. Netflix even asks us a question. Are you still watching? <laughs> Translation, hey, is everything okay? We've been here for a while. Are the kids okay? You know, everybody, everybody good? So easily, so easily distracted. You get sucked into stuff, so easily distracted. <clears throat> In fact, you've probably thought this. I, I, I think this regularly. If only I had more time, if only I had more time, I had this thought. If I open up my phone and I go to the screen time app, it would laugh at me if I told it I needed more time. I'll give you all the time back right here. Just put this away for a minute. I'm not saying anything that's bad. I'm just saying it's distracting. We're also just distracted by worldviews that say, hey, the faster you go, the better you'll be. The faster you go, the more successful you'll be. The more you own, the, the, the more you earn, the happier you'll be. That just succeed, succeed no matter what it costs because eventually it will be worth it. Hey, measure up to so that you can be as good as, so that you can feel better about. Come on. What is distracting you from what you should be devoted to? Ignoring that question. And ignoring what may or may not be distracting you from what matters most will cost you. And it will cost me. In fact, if you're being honest, it already has. Now, there was this, this study done um, by two Harvard psychologists back in 2010. So this is 12 years ago. Um, Matthew Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert. And they found that the average human spends 47% of their waking hours thinking about something other than the moment that they are currently in. And, 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 and what they concluded was that the ability to think about what is not happening is a cognitive achievement. It's a, it's a wonder of the brain. It's amazing. But it is a cognitive achievement that comes at an emotional cost. This was 12 years ago. It's gotta be worse now that as humans, we spend an average over half of our waking hours thinking some, about something other than the moment that we are physically in and it comes at an emotional cost. Come on, you know, this is not even a faith thing, right? Like science and study shows. Being present and being mindful of the moment is directly linked to happiness and joy and contentment and peace. 
But we spend over half of our time even engaging with a thought, engaging through some kind of medium that takes us beyond the task at hand, that takes us beyond the person that is right in front of us, that takes us beyond the moment that we are in, and it costs us emotionally. And and you know this, I've certainly experienced this. It'll cost you relationally. We're missing people left and right because we're not in the moment. In fact, for, for, for some of us, we're, we're missing our spouses because we do life more side by side than we do face to face. It even costs us spiritually. Ultimately, here, here's, here's what's true for you and certainly true for me, that a distracted life just leads to disordered priorities. A distracted life keeps us from the beauty of the present. And a distracted life limits our capacity for love, joy, and peace. In this state, the urgent crowds out what's most important. Relationships that deserve your best get half your best at best. And faith for some of us turns into a one hour a week activity on a Sunday at church. What are you distracted from that you should be devoted to? What's the way forward? Jesus gives us an insight into the way forward in what I think is one of the most relatable stories in all of the scriptures. Like if, you, if you've never read the Bible, you're gonna think I made this up because it's just such real life. I wanna look at this moment that Luke documents for us in the gospel of Luke. So it's believe in chapter 10, Jesus is, is on his way and he, and he visits um, the house of these two sisters, Martha and Mary. And there's an insight here for you and for me so that we can begin thriving and not just Surviving. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38, he tells us that as Jesus' disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So here's Jesus coming to their home, and he is now going to be a guest in their home, which is a really big deal. Luke goes on and tells us she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted, Luke tells us, by all the preparations that had to be made. So you've got two drastically different pictures here. You've got Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in the living room. He's reclined in the lazy boy and she's, she's listening. She's soaking it all up. She's learning. She's taking the posture of a disciple, if you will, of a student. And right there, he has her full attention And then you've got Martha in the kitchen preparing a meal for her guest. But Luke uses a very intentional word, the word distracted. It's actually the only place in all of the New Testament that little Greek word is used. And it it, it, it describes someone experiencing inner stress and frustration, seeing an outer and noticeable agitation. But here's what's so fascinating about this moment is that on a cultural level, this is exactly what would have been expected of Martha. Now, because of my background, both of my parents um, were born in Israel. So because of my Middle Eastern background, like this is the one spot in the Bible I don't need uh, a professor or some kind of scholar to tell me what is going on here. I totally get what is going on here. Because Martha, who is slaving in the way in the kitchen, making a meal for her guest, is exactly what my mom and my grandma do, okay? Martha is my mom. Martha is my grandma. 
On a cultural level, in the Middle Eastern culture, hospitality is everything. If you have a guest, they are most important. Like if you came over to my parents' house, my mom might ask you if you were hungry before she asked you what your name was. <laughs> they got to take care of their guests. There's an expectation. Like my dad, my dad tells this story that when they, they got married in Israel, they, they, they moved back here to the States. My dad was already living here. And after they got married, they went to one of my dad's friend's house for dinner here in the, in the States. And they, they had hamburgers. They got done eating on the way home. And, and my mom says to my dad, hey, can we, can we stop somewhere and, and get some dinner? I'm hungry. My dad's like, Marie, we just, we just had dinner. And she goes, yeah, I know, but... Like when I, when I finished eating, they didn't ask me for more. So I they asked me if I wanted more. So I didn't really know what to do. And my dad looks at her. He says, Marie, um, listen, this is America. They're not just going to give it to you. <laughs> because if you went to my parents' house for a meal, if you finished your plate, they're going to put more on there whether you want it or not. They're not going to wait for you to take it. They're going to put it on there. And if you don't want it, they don't care. They want to make sure that you're taken care of. They want to make sure you leave full. They want to make sure that you, as a guest, you understand how important you are. So on a cultural level here, like I understand exactly what's happening. It would have been so appropriate. It would have been so expected for Martha to be in the kitchen, slaving away, making this meal for her guest. Um, but she's agitated. She's distracted. She's frustrated. And you can get this scene. You can see this, right? Like Mary's sitting there on the floor and Martha's in the kitchen just whipping up the hummus. Yeah. She's looking over there. Oh, Mary, I guess you think this meal's going to cook itself. Huh, Mary? Yeah, okay. She's whipping it faster. You know, it's going everywhere. Oh, Jesus is funny. You're laughing. This is so great. Mary, hope you're enjoying yourself. Mary, you know. She starts cooking louder so maybe she'll hear clanging pots and pans so that maybe someone will hear her. She's frustrated. She's agitated. And in this moment, she does what any adult would have done. She goes and she tells Jesus. Oh, you can't make this stuff up. She, she goes to Jesus in verse 40 and she says, she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Come on, I, I've, I've burned three pitas trying to do this all by myself. Then Jesus, he looks at her. He says, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. You can, you can, you can sense the compassion. He's trying to calm her down. Martha, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. But, the few, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. The best way to understand this is literally. Hey, Martha, you're upset. You're, you're trying to put together a five-course meal, but, but we only need a few dishes. In fact, you really only just need one. You don't need to complicate it. Just one dish, one simple dish would have been enough. And then he goes on to say what I think is one of the most profound things in all of the New Testament. He says, Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary was present in the moment. Martha, distracted. Mary, who was experiencing joy, peace, 
being a person of love. And then Martha stressed, frustrated, and quite the opposite. And the brilliance of Jesus in this moment is he does not look at Martha and say, hey, you chose wrong and Mary chose right. He uses a comparative. Hey, 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 Mary chose better. Martha, you you didn't need all of that. Like like one dish would have been enough and then you could have kind of come and be in this moment. You could have avoided the frustration, the, the stress and the anger. You could have avoided all of that. In other words, hey, Martha, you could have prioritized better. Come on, you, you, you know this. You know this. Um, you can have a good thing or you can have a better thing. <clears throat> chips and salsa, good thing. Or chips and queso is better, right? This is one of the subtle the subtleties and the dangers of distractions. It's pretty easy to, to, to know like what an un, like a really bad distraction is or a bad thing, whatever, and you're trying to figure out whether I'm gonna do something about it. But so often, right, it's these little things that aren't in and of themselves bad, but they distract us from what matters most. This is what I call the distraction dilemma. Even a good thing can distract you from a better thing. Even a good thing, something in and of itself, it's not bad, but it can distract you from a better thing. Jesus looks at Martha, he says, listen, we gotta eat. You you make the meal. He didn't say don't cook. He's like, hey, you kind of prioritize it. You didn't need all of that. You could have prioritized it better, that there was something better. A distraction so oftentimes for us in and of themselves, they're not bad, right? Like I'm not saying work, is bad. I love my job. Okay. You should work hard. I'm not saying like, you know, don't, don't get fired in Jesus name. I cannot be held liable for that. <laughs> Pastor said, don't get busy. So, you know, like, don't, I get it. You've, you've got to, I can't, don't put that on me. You've got to work. You've got to get stuff done. Right? Like I'm not saying work is evil. I'm not saying cell phones and tech. Don't go cancel, you know, Netflix or you can't, if you want, we're not going to go burn our cell phones on the bonfire in the parking lot after this. Like, I'm not saying all oh, that's bad. No, those things, they're, I love how productive I can be on my phone and I can connect with people and capture moments. I'm not saying they're bad. To some degree, you're gonna be busy. You gotta take care of your kids, right? Like, just, you know, your son's gonna look at your daughter. We haven't eaten in a, in a week. Well, mom, dads, they don't wanna be busy. Like, I'm not, you know, like there's... <laughs> the brilliance of Jesus here, again, he's making a point about priorities, And even something that in and of itself is okay, there's nothing wrong with it, it can get in the way of something better when it's in the wrong spot. And you know this. Priorities aren't about right or wrong. They're about better and best. And every day, every day, you and I get to choose that which gets the lion's share of our attention. You and I get to choose what is and isn't priority and it matters because if you want to be a person of joy and of peace and a person of love you've got to audit that which gets your attention because that tells you what you are devoted to and let me just speak for myself my capacity to be a person of love is lower when I'm distracted because in my distraction people right in front of me people that matter most don't get my full attention Like my capacity to live with peace is lower 
when I'm living distracted because I'm always going, 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 trying to achieve, achieve, achieve. Never slowing down. My capacity to experience joy is lower when I'm distracted because I'm rarely in the moment. And I'm just telling you, one of the most spiritual things that you could do today if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the most spiritual things, one of the most God-honoring things you could do is to audit where your attention goes. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just tell you the healthiest thing that you could do, the wisest thing that you could do for all of us, the best thing that ever happened to your relationships, the best thing that ever happened to your marriage, the best thing that ever happened for you trying to figure out your work-life balance, the best thing that ever happened to your parenting, I'm just telling you, is to audit where your attention is going and to honestly ask, what am I distracted from that I should be devoted to? So here's a little math equation for the soul. It's easy to understand, a little bit harder to apply if you let it. Simple, I want you to identify distractions. Then determine the priorities. Experience more love, joy, and peace. Identify distractions. Then determine the priorities. And then thrive, not just survive. And in your example, this is, this is really broad. Yeah, it's meant to be broad because we're all in different seasons and different spaces and different places with different relationships, different dynamics. We've got different stuff going on. You've got to figure out what that looks like for you. But just so you know that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I don't do myself, I'm going to go first. I'm going to get vulnerable with you today, if that's okay. I'll go first. For me, my, my mornings are, are supposed to be kind of some of the most sacred time. It's when I, you know, I try to get up before my kids so that I can drink my coffee, do you know, my reading and my devotional time. I like to pray, kind of get my heart right. And you know, my, my, I have three kids now, and so I like to spend time with them before I go to work in the morning. And, and you know, I'm trying to do a couple things for my wife. She likes to, I like to get the dishwasher empty, make sure there's no sinks in there, make the kids some breakfast, make her coffee. Like I, I've got what a perfect morning for me is. But every so often, I kind of get out of whack and I've got to pay attention to it. And this happened, I mean, a little over a year ago. I vividly remember I was kind of in the season where life was getting a little bit crazy. Um, work was getting a little bit hectic. And I found myself um, waking up in the morning, getting my cup of coffee and immediately jumping into an email or immediately jumping into some kind of sermon prep, immediately jumping into work. I mean, we're talking about before 6 a.m. I'm in and I'm trying to get stuff done. And then my kids would wake up. And instead of spending time with them, I'd put them on the couch right next to me and I'd put on Disney+. Plus. They're distracted, they're fine, they're happy, uh, you know, a little bit, give them a little snack and then I'd come back and get my work done. And then I'd less likely to get the dishwasher emptied. Wouldn't get the kids breakfast, apologize to my wife as I'm rushing out, sorry, I just got a lot going on. And then I even started to notice there would be moments where I would get to the office like my workday hasn't even started yet and I already felt behind. I already felt stressed, especially on mornings when I didn't get as much done as I thought. I'd get upset with my kids if they woke up earlier than I had anticipated as if it's their fault. I was not being a person that experienced a lot of peace and joy and I certainly was not being a person of love. No, no, everything was rushed. Everything made me agitated. I'd leave the house some days frustrated because I wasn't nearly as productive with work. 
And some mornings, I'd just be so tired of all that I had going on. I'd put them on the couch anyway, and I'd just scroll through my phone. In fact, if I can just, can I just be really honest, honest with you? Can I just be really vulnerable? There were moments when my three-year-old, she's four now, she'd look at me and say, Dad, put your phone down. And I'm like, you're missing moments. Ten years from now, you would do anything to get back. In the name of work, in the name of productivity, in the name of a stupid little game that a third three-year-old has no business playing on his phone. So I had to reorient. And so I, I have three filters. I wrote it down. I wanted to be clearly defined. Determine what my distractions were. And I defined what my priorities were. And I've got three just for my morning. And they're, they're really simple. It's spend time with Jesus, play with my kids, and serve my wife. It sounds so obvious, but it's not as obvious in the moment. It's not as obvious if it's not clear in the moment. So those are my three filters. And if, if something pops up, like if it doesn't fit within those priorities, I've deemed it a distraction. Now I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to spend time with my kids because I'm about to be gone all day. And then I want to make sure my wife is taken care of as best as I possibly can take care of her. And do you know what this does? Do you know what identifying the distractions and clearly defining your priorities it does for you? I'm not less productive. I'm actually more productive. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I experience more peace and more joy. Because watch this, clearly defined priorities, you know what they do? They function as barriers to protect what you've deemed as most important from potential spillover from other things going on in your life. But I had to do it. I had to see it. I had to define it. And then I had to do something about it. So what about you? Identify distractions. Or identify distractions. Um, define your priorities. And joy, peace, and love. So just by way of application to, to kind of help you flesh this out, I'm going to ask you three questions as we close our time together. I think they're worth writing down because I think they're worth processing. And some of them might be pretty obvious answer. But here's the first one. You ready? How do you start your day? How do you start your day? Coming from somebody with experience in this category, if it's on your phone, we're doing it wrong. If it starts in an inbox, if it starts on a screen before your eyes are even adjusted, then you're doing it wrong. That you're even bringing information. You're stressed about this. You're stressed about work. You're stressed about the news. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to process this before you've even left the house, before the sun is even up. Here's what I've found to be true for me. Take this for what it's worth. What's best for me and the world around me and the relationships that I'm connected to is when Jesus gets the priority of my day. I can feel a difference in who I am when I'm walking out of my house with an awareness that there's a heavenly father that loves me and wants to connect with me and he's with me all day long. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, I'm not here to read the scriptures yet. I'm still curious. That's fine. It can be a time of meditation. It can be a time of journaling, whatever it is. I think it's worth asking the question, how do you start your day? Because it sets the tone for the rest of the day. Second one, you ready? What can only you do? 
What can only you do? And for some of you, you immediately went to work or you thought, can I just tell you, you're not irreplaceable at work. I'm not irreplaceable at work. Like my job is not that hard. It's not irreplaceable. Nobody is irreplaceable. You know where this really plays itself out? In your relationships. Because watch this, come on. Only you can be a dad. Only you can be a mom. Only you can be a son or a daughter. Only you can be a husband or a wife. So what can only you do? Help that define the priorities. Like plan date nights. Go spend time with your parents. Give your kids your undivided attention. They're craving it. I'm just telling you, you know this. You will rarely regret prioritizing relationships. You'll begin to experience and grow into more of a person of love when you do. And then lastly, where can you choose better? Come on, you, you, know, you know this. Where can you choose better? Just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me, but just where can you choose better? It's worth it to be honest with yourself. Come on. Who needs you to choose better? And if you're really brave, ask somebody you trust that question. Ask them, hey, how can I choose better? If you're really brave, on the way home, ask your spouse, how can I choose better? And you're not allowed to get defensive. What boundaries do you need to set so you can choose better? Author Annie Lamott um, observed that no is a complete sentence. Imagine that. Some of us need to get better at using that sentence. Where can you choose better? Because it's worth examining and it's worth asking. What are you distracted from that you should be devoted to? The cost is too High to not answer it. Wrestle it into the ground and then do something about it. Because your relationships will be better for it. There's way more thriving on the other side of wrestling that question into the ground than there is surviving. But it starts with you. It starts with being honest. It starts with being real. And then choosing the courage to do something about it. Your future self, your family, your relationships, your mental, emotional, and spiritual health will be so glad that you did. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the insight of Jesus the timeless and ironically timely insight of Jesus around priorities. Father, would you give us clear eyes and even conviction in our hearts to identify where we can be better? Would you impress it upon our hearts what's really at stake? And would you give us the courage to not only see it, but then do something about it? And I pray as a result, to be less bending and less surviving and more thriving more peace, more love, and more joy cultivated in our hearts. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.